Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight fascism once again, this is your host, Daniel Hurwitz, here at Blaze Media. It's Tuesday. It's December 14th, actually the day that George Washington died in 1799. And we find ourselves leaderless today. We don't have any leaders. We face really this confluence of, anar- anar- well, I would say a few things, anarcho-tyranny, socialism, fascism, all of them together, fascism against our rights, where we have segregation based on those who abide by immoral violations of the Nuremberg Code and those who don't. We have, you know, socialism, scarcity now. The producer price index, PPI, is now up almost 10% for the year, the most on record. So both on the uh, on the producer side and on the consumer side, record inflation. And we have anarchy with criminals running loose and yet tyranny for us. Our people are going to jail. We have business owners still going to jail. Lisa Hansen, I'm writing a column on her in Minnesota. Solitary confinement. De facto, she could only go out for one hour a day, 90 days there. While the worst criminals, BLM rioters, you name it, don't serve a day in prison in Minnesota. This is where we are. Where do we evacuate? So as we've been talking about, our only choice is to create Noah's Ark's safe havens in the few red states we could find and make them red again. And in that vein, we will be having on Don Huffines later today who's running for governor of Texas. If we're going to have freedom, isn't it going to have to start in Texas? Well, Texas is not very free. And what we learned yesterday, after we finished recording, of course, we had uh, you know, a pair of court rulings, a Fifth Circuit ruling and a Supreme Court ruling, turning down the request for injunction when New York not only was requiring healthcare workers under all circumstances, even if they had the virus ready, to get a shot that now everyone agrees doesn't work anyway and kills so many people, but they can't even apply for a religious exemption. In contrast to endless case law, including recent case law, Barrett and Kavanaugh are the biggest hypocrites around. We'll talk about that. But the most important thing to realize is, as I promised you guys, you cannot count on the courts. The only way is red state governors and legislatures, legislative session, primaries. That's my immediate focus. Now, one right we still do have is the Second Amendment. I would utilize it to a, to its fullest, and that means not just buying the best firearm for yourself and ammo, but also a gun belt and a holster. We the People Holsters, our longtime sponsor, as you covered, at just 40 bucks, starting at 40 bucks. Uh, they make custom-molded American-made firearm, uh, um, well, both gun belts and holsters for your firearm. Fits pretty much any firearm on the market, right-handed, left-handed, inside, outside the waistband. If you go to wethepeopleholsters.com slash CR, you could pick up your EDC tactical gun belt, your holster, your premium printed hoodies, long-sleeve T-shirts. They have some cool uh, patriotic uh, messages on them. Every holster and gun belt comes with a lifetime guarantee. That's wethepeopleholsters.com slash CR, and then get offer code CR for $10 off. Folks, now is the time to make sure you have a secure holster, believe me, uh, with all the crime going on. Okay, so we had two rulings yesterday. Let Let me just set the table here to make this clear. There's three spheres of problems with the mandates. There's the federal 
there's the state requiring it, and then there's the so-called private businesses establishments requiring it. The victories we are seeing in the courts are only the federal mandate. And as I noted before, the feds was, were just kind of the icing on the cake. Until now, the blue states were mandating it anyway. And in the red states where they weren't really mandating it at a state level, but the so-called private businesses were doing it anyway at the behest and urging of the federal government and through the influence and censorship and everything they've done until now. So it's not private anyway, as we've noted. So... Biden smartly moved the Overton window to make a federal mandate. They knew it wouldn't stick in the courts, but what that would do is make it more reasonable to accept the rest of it, which still affects most people. And, you know, I had this conversation with uh, a House majority leader of a, of a deep red state legislature. I'll tell you that much. I just don't want to reveal private conversation. And it was, a, it was a good conversation, but I got the impression the entire time he somewhat bought into the argument, well, you know, we don't do that here in this state. In this state, we're good. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, you don't have it on the state workers, but the state workers are only a certain percentage of all people. You know, most people are still in the private sector or in the federal working for the feds. Now, I understand you can't do anything about the federal workers, but the private businesses, I said, they're doing it in your state just like the blue states. So what you saw yesterday, not to be confused with the places where we're winning in court, we're winning on the federal mandate. But in terms of states requiring it, that was the New York case, the Supreme Court refused to take up the appeal and to grants a stay. Gorsuch, Thomas, and Alito would have. And as always, as we've warned, we're we're rapidly seeing a six to three liberal majority opening up, even on religious liberty, which we thought that was the one issue we thought we'd have a majority, but numerous times already, Barrett and Kavanaugh have screwed us. So the feds can't needle rape you, but a state can, which is bullcrap because Everyone agrees in the incorporation doctrine that the um, the Bill of Rights applies to the states, and certainly this aspect of the Bill of Rights, religious freedom, conscience rights. No, if you have a religious objection to the shots, doesn't matter. State could force you. And then the private, certainly forget about that. I mean, there's no way in, 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 in hell that they're going to take it up um, they've refused to take up a single case of a private mask or or shot mandate. And yesterday, the Fifth Circuit, you know, we've been winning the Fifth Circuit, and it's more conservative, but they refused to issue grant relief to United, you know, airlines, uh, employees. So that's a so-called private mandate. Uh, Judge Ho, it was a two-to-one decision. Judge Ho wrote a dissent. And Judge Ho is one of the ones that I always felt Trump should have picked for the Supreme Court. But, of course, they never would because he actually had a paper trail of fighting for us. Um, I also I supported him. I supported Allison Jones rushing of North Carolina. I know Mark Meadows, who's from North Carolina, was pushing for her. But we can't have nice things, so we're stuck with the garbage we have. So before talking about the courts, you know, and what exactly happened, I just want to make clear what this demonstrates is what what you're still going to have is the federal – there's three spheres. There's fed, states, and, and corporate, but it's all coming from the federal government. It's all coming from the cabal. There is no private. It's nonsense. Let me read to you this article from National Pulse. They put out uh, an expose today in private emails between Mark Zuckerberg and Anthony Fauci obtained exclusively by the National Pulse. The Facebook founder and CEO offered to send data reports on users to facilitate decisions about COVID-19 lockdowns. The revelation is a stark example of how big tech corporate uh, corporates and government can easily collude using user data to restrict the liberties of the general public in the exchange. Zuckerberg insists Quote, I want to make sure you will have the resources you need to expedite the development of a vaccine. Remember, Facebook is censoring every one of my articles. We were playing around with titles yesterday to see how to get around with that, get around that. There's no informed consent. They're all working together. They're boxing us out. So again, that is not private. And again, 
as long as we have mandates on who you have to serve and we have Title VII, in other words, pursuant to the Bostock decision, which Gorsuch himself wrote and signed on to that, if you're a private business, you cannot say, I don't want a cross-dresser in my, in my office. That was ruled Title VII discrimination. Right? Even though that could be very disruptive into the environment if you have a guy suddenly coming in and cross-dressing. Right? There is a logical, you know, cultural reason you wouldn't want that in many offices. Aside from religious uh, conscience objections. Yet now they're saying, oh, you could force someone to jab themselves with an experimental thing that is killing people and doesn't work. And well, well, but, but you know, they have the right to protect themselves. No, it doesn't protect you. There is no evidence that it does that. It doesn't affect another person at all. It cannot. That's how hypocritical the courts are. I don't want to hear this garbage that a private business can do whatever they want because they cannot. And because they cannot is why there's a monopoly of this cartel that is enforcing these mandates on us. Because we do regulate business, so smaller businesses have been cut out because they don't have the economies of scale to deal with these costly regulations. So you cannot call it quits in middle and say, oh, we're no longer going to enforce existing anti-discrimination law. We have ADA, we have OSHA, we have discrimination law, we have the EOC. You can't even look at you know, a black employee the wrong way, you know, if he's doing, you know, just happens to be doing a poor job, but they'll blame it. They'll say you're discriminating because he's black. You can't fire someone for having HIV. It's unbelievable. But this is what all these governors, the Oklahoma governors, oh, I don't like telling private businesses what to do. So the courts certainly aren't going to bite. Blue states, you're screwed. And the red states... Yeah, if you're a government worker, but what if you're a private worker? Most states will not lift a hand to block it. You can't have government working with Facebook, working with big tech, working with the corporations. And then also, it's more than that. It's not like it started with a corporate mandate. It was a government. It was the states and the feds all saying this is what you must do. Corporations would have never had a mask mandate. Okay, they, the private market would have never supported that. They started it by grooming them like a pedophile grooms his victim for years, groomed them for a year, and then even when the most states took it off, so yeah, some of them continued it, but that's being done at the behest of government misinformation. Government used the boot of government to create that tyranny. The states have an obligation to interpose with equal and opposing force to set us back to where the free market was before the government intervention. That is the free market view. So this is where we are. It's just, it's just, I mean, the whole thing is just really frustrating. Really, really frustrating. Now, folks, one thing I do want to tell you about, speaking of free markets... Do you know that most of agriculture is owned, most farms are owned by a few corporations, similar thing, it's not the free market, it's through the farm bills that government created this, four companies control 80% of the meat industry. Just like we have big pharma, we have big food. And they poison us, you know, meat and chicken and, and fish, they're very healthy, but if you put in garbage, it's not healthy. Well, I want you guys to get moinked just like I have um, Moinkbox, it was founded by an eighth-generation farmer uh, in Missouri. They make the tastiest steaks, bacon, uh, chicken, Alaska wild salmon sent to your door. You can order a box. They have different, um, you know, boxes that you could you could adjust to your uh, taste. Their animals are all raised outdoors. The fish swim wild. The moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, all that stuff that's put in by the big food industry. Um, sign up at moinkbox.com slash conservative to get your free your year of ground beef for free and then pick the other meats that you want delivered for, for a reasonable cost. Again, get moinked just like I have. Um, join the growing movement that's moving away from the food cartel, the unhealthy food, 
Go to moinkbox.com slash conservative. That's M-O-I-N-K, moink as in oink, moinkbox.com slash conservative. So I just want to go a little bit longer before we bring on Don Huffines. Um, you know, so you look at the courts, okay? This is what we've had from the Supreme Court. A state can tell an employer they must allow a cross-dresser at work, but not someone who hasn't taken an experimental injection. They've also ruled on several other things the last couple of years. Um, two Idaho cases come to mind where the Supreme Court upheld the Ninth Circuit ruling that states do not have an interest in getting rid of homeless encampments. If you remember that Boise case, you know they, they have these problems in all these western cities with the homeless camping out. You have the drugs, the crime, the uncouthness. Um, that is a vital city interest, vital power of local government, police power to clean up these homeless encampments. No, they have the right to camp out on the street, but you don't have the right to live a life and not get injected. Oh, no, no, Daniel. I agree. I'm Coney Barrett, and I agree the feds can't, but the states could do anything they want. Really? That's news to me. They've upheld rulings that Medicaid must cover sex change operations. And also in Idaho, that the Idaho uh, Department of Corrections must make available and pay for a castration for a pedophile, a rapist who now says he's really a woman and wants to be placed in the female prison, by the way. There's a Ninth Circuit ruling. Supreme Court upheld it. So you don't have the right as in terms of freedom from a government injection, but you have an affirmative right to a taxpayer-funded castration. That is where the courts are today. Let's not forget that the same 6-3 to three split we had earlier this year with Arlene's Flowers where... They essentially ruled, I mean, they didn't rule on it, but they denied the appeal, so they upheld the lower court in that a flower shop must arrange flowers for a gay ceremony that they call a wedding. Okay? So if same-sex couples want come to you, a private business could do whatever the hell they want, except they can't. Think about this for a moment. You're telling me that a small mom and pop shop must perform an action with their hands, a service that's very sentimental. Very sentimental. For not just a person. They're not trying to say, we are not serving someone who says they're gay or we don't like their political views or what they do or they must do this action in order to comply. No. They're just saying they don't want to service an event that is against every major religion since the dawn of time, right? That is religious conscience protections at its core in the First Amendment. But no, no such thing exists. Even though they could go to 50 other flower shops that will likely give them a discount because, you know, they're favored in, in the culture more than anyone else. Nope, you can't do that. That's, that's discrimination. Yet government can collude with the largest businesses and big tech on the flow of information to the point where they could deny you the most basic employment and services and right to live and participate in society at its most basic level. If you don't do something medical to your body. Think about that unbelievable juxtaposition that's coming out from these evil, evil courts. Evil courts. By the way, we had another 6-3 to three decision. There was a Fourth Circuit opinion that said states mu must allow boys into girls' bathrooms. And vice versa. Same 6-3 to three split. Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch would have taken up the appeal, likely overturned it, but Barrett and Kavanaugh joined the left. Okay? This is where we are. This is where we are. A state... So, so notice, businesses are so powerful 
when it comes to destroying your bodily autonomy. But when it comes to their own conscience rights, they don't have it. No, they can't do whatever they want. Likewise, at a state level. Oh, Daniel, you know, Constitution, that's for the feds. States, they can do whatever they want. Oh, but actually, a state must give a castration to someone, must allow a male in a female prison, must allow allow boys' and girls' bathrooms in the public schools, must fund under Medicaid castration, and must allow homeless encampment on the streets. This is why, my friends, when it comes to the federal level and the blue states, we're screwed. We have nowhere to turn. But where are the red states? And that's where I want to get to with our next guest, who's running for governor in Texas. Very apropos, our interview is sponsored by Convention of the States. This is the entire movement that understands, uh, my friend Mark Meckler runs it, that you will never solve this problem in Washington. The federal courts are the problem, not the solution. They want to get together and have a convention of the states. Um, it's endorsed by Mark Levin, Steve Dace, and Governor DeSantis. Um, I support it as well. Go to convention of the state, oh, not conventionofstates.com slash Horowitz to sign up today, sign the petition, demand that your state legislatures vote yes on the convention of states. Visit conventionofstates.com slash Horowitz again to sign that um, that petition, and, and really to join that movement. These are the smartest activists we have, terrific, terrific people. Um, but we need our own lowercase convention of the states, meaning not the one, you know, not just the one where you could amend the Constitution, but literally red states pushing back. And that starts with good governors. So the way we're going to get better governors, governors that will actually interpose between the people and the federal tyranny, that will ensure that the red states are actually red, that will make state legislatures great again, that will find some sort of corner of this country, hopefully a few corners, that will remain that asylum for civil and religious liberty left to mankind, as uh, Sam Adams said that their contest and fighting the Revolutionary War, he said this three weeks after he signed the Declaration, it's about whether there will be a place left for civil and religious liberty. You look at what's going on in Europe. You look at what's going on in Israel, Australia. There's nowhere to turn. And then you look at the blue states. They're following very closely. This is the last stance. But again, you, you look at these red state governors, and basically, essentially, what almost every one of them have said uh, the Florida governor is, is more the exception, and I could tell you all the other guys talk trash about him privately. Um, I know the New Hampshire governor certainly has done that, and their feeling is, look, um, I don't like federal mandates, but we'll allow the feds to work with the private businesses to impose it anyway. Um, we're going to violate all of our years of... Uh, anti-discrimination law, ADA, OSHA, medical privacy, uh, that doesn't matter. Suddenly, a private business could do what they want, except if we actually want to start our own businesses, we can't. And, you know, really, you're stupid for not getting it. It's the greatest shot around. We're going to continue having the Department of Health uh, promote this with taxpayer funding when it's turned out to be very problematic in terms of ADE, in terms of not working, in terms of the injuries, and just, yeah, the feds can't do a direct mandate. That's essentially what a red state is. And I'm telling you, if that is what we're left to, if we don't get involved in the primaries, that is what you're going to get. You're, that's what you're going to continue to get. And you will not have that asylum in a red state because they're not really red. Now, if we're going to start this, it's going to have to start in Texas, which is the largest red state. We have the second largest red state headed in a good direction. But what about the largest state? So with us today, we've had him on a couple of times. Don Huffines is a former state senator, businessman running against uh, Greg Abbott, the incumbent Texas governor in the Republican primary. There are several other candidates as well. There will be a runoff um, next year. So you have a little bit of time, but it is fastly approaching. Uh, Don, thanks so much for joining us once again on Blaze TV. Well, thank you, Daniel. I sure appreciate you having me on. 
Okay, so I want to I want to start with the COVID mandates. Um, one of the things that I'm struggling with when I speak with uh, Republicans and, and legislatures, they don't seem to know what time of year it is. They don't know what time on the clock it is, and they don't understand how the government has ensured that there is no free market. They've created all the COVID mandates and censorship for almost two years. So if absent equal and opposing force at the state level, you're going to get the mandates anyway because the feds will win out um, if you don't fight the feds equally. If you were governor of Texas today, what would you be doing differently in terms of COVID fascism, in terms of treating COVID um, than the existing governor? Well, look, this is uh, this is a political statement. It always has been and it always will be. This is not a medical condition as much as it is a political condition. Uh, it's one of the catalysts, really, that that forced me to run. And I really want to to is to restore our liberty, our medical liberty and everything else. Our governor, Abbott, in March of 20, like most like most of them, they, he listened to that lying piece of crap Fauci. And we and shut their state down. Three million Texans were out of work in one day, all dependent on the government. Of course, that's more jobs than the state's created in 12 years or more. And and he picked the winners and losers, tens of thousands of businesses. He closed our churches over the holiest week of the year, which was Easter season. And he kept a mask mandate on us for nine, ten months. And and I would say this, you know, people thank him for taking that off. And that's like thanking a thief for bringing some of your stolen stuff back. And and now he's, he was for the forced uh, vaccinations and, and letting businesses uh, forcibly vaccinate people. And then he pivoted to 180 degrees when he realized that I was against it. But I never would have done any of that. And, and here's the main reason. A true patriot, Daniel, a true patriot always questions government and questions authority. And a true patriot never blindly follows government. And that's what our governor did. Uh, this is. This is really an attack on, 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 of evil versus goodness. The left is trying to take over our, our whole system. This is the evil is out of the trenches. It is on the march. It is moving fast, and we've got to we've got to fight back. We don't have any more time. We've lost more liberty, Daniel, in the last in the last twenty months than I thought we could ever lose. And it was done to us in Texas by a Republican governor. Here's the thing. Most things are downstream of the governor's office, our virtue, our culture, our legislation. And we've got a Republican governor in Texas that is giving in and, and helping the left. And it's, it's got to change if we're going to save but Texas but, and save the country. But, Don, he'll, he'll say that he has uh, executive order barring businesses from requiring it. Well, he does, but he doesn't enforce it. And he was all and that's only he only pivoted on that issue because I, he's trying to protect his right flank from losing in this primary. And this is our, our governor, for instance, never had a really a Republican primary opponent in 30 years. He's the definition of a career politician. And this is the first time he's going to be accountable to the Republican voters in the state of Texas. And this is one of the most important elections in our in the history of our country. And it could be. And I think it's the most important election in the United States in 22 because Texas it's so important. This is this is Texas. I mean, if we lose Texas, we lose the free world, not just the country. In your view, what happens when Washington, whether it's Congress, but increasingly nowadays it's going to be the executive branch, promulgates a rule, an edict that is unconstitutional? Your governor, what action do you take? How do you treat that? You absolutely ignore it. We have three branches of government, as you know, of course, our executive branch, legislative and judicial and judicial branch cannot enforce the law. They just in, try to interpret it. And we, we, we lose a court hearing. That's OK. How are they going to enforce it? I want the fight. I'm going to prove how sovereign a state can be. And whether it's closing the border down and you and, and and I'll never ask permission from the federal government to secure the Texas border, unlike my opponent. It's the same with the vaccine mandates. You know, big businesses now really are the arm, the, the left arm of the leftists. 
they are in they are in sync with the leftists. They're in sync with the communists. And and, and this is a, a different time for Texas. And all of our traditional Republicans are saying, oh, well, you can't tell a business what to do. Well, that's just a crock of it. We're not going to. Of course, businesses can get government can tell businesses what to do. We do it. They do it every single day. About we did it last year. We shut them down. Yeah, I know. You, you, we shut them down. We tell them who they can hire. We tell them that that uh, they can't discriminate against transvestites, and you know, we just it, it, it goes on and on. We 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 uh, confiscate our the team members' money, you know, from their taxes. We withhold their money. We tell them what their minimum wages are. And we can go on and on about it. And look, we these the these big large corporations are are destroying our liberty, and we've got to push back. And we and I would never, as a governor, issue an edict or an executive order that's unconstitutional. And, and whenever I would do one that is constitutional, I would make sure I could enforce it and would enforce it immediately, or I wouldn't issue it. That's just strength. That's just leadership, and that's the camp. My campaign's about leadership, no excuses. So what do you do about the fact that Texas seems to be the hub, whether it's Houston or Dallas, the hub for corporate headquarters across the country? You have so many corporations headquartered there. How do you leverage power to shift that culture? Because I, you know, as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about this. The governor of Texas probably has more of an impact than anyone around on if you want to fight back against the corporate culture being involved with with the left and the feds, uh, Texas has the most corporate headquarters in the country. So do you have any ideas of how you could leverage that power to, you know, again, we're not trying to mandate they do, you know, what we want and, you know, sing the Star Spangled Banner at work every day. The idea is just that they are not used as a conduit to enforce the government's cultural Marxism and assault on medical freedom. Well, of course, you can use the bully pulpit, and and that's very, very powerful, and it's never been used like I will use it in the state of Texas. And the state of Texas also uh, has a whole, like a slush fund that we give money to or tax credits and tax benefits to companies that relocate here, uh, whether it's – and a lot of these are just are just socialist con- uh, companies or leftist companies like Facebook and Amazon and others – and that we give them all these tax breaks to relocate their businesses here. Of course, I would stop all of that. I'm not. I don't. We don't need any more corporations moving to Texas. That's all great. We need. You know, we've got a, a very robust uh, economy here, but we don't need to be incentivizing them. And we certainly don't want the leftists coming in. We get a lot. This is interesting. You might find this interesting. We we get a lot of transfers and people moving here from California and the coastal areas on both coasts. And most of them are political refugees. They're tired of the, of the communist governments they're, they're fleeing from in California, Oregon and, and Washington and New York, of course. And, and so they come here uh, and they're moving to Florida and they're moving here. Those people are great patriots. And they can they, they really, when they get here, they're just, shocked at how naive Texans are what's happening. We're just sitting back on the sofa, not caring, not participating, and they're just in shock. But when these companies come here, like Toyota, that relocated their headquarters here from Fremont, California, and they're relocating 5,000 team members here, these people came here about really to keep their job. It's a huge yep. problem for Texas. It's a big no, problem. exactly, it, and and I was wondering, and, and and again, we're in a war where we've had decades worth of post constitutional governance, so you need to even up the score, and I think you seem to understand that. Would you support the following concept? You know, California just said that there'll be a sanctuary for abortions in the event that um, people can't get abortions in red states; they'll pay for them to come there. Do you support any sort of scheme of? You know, incentivizing whether it's law enforcement from other states that have been kicked out either because they don't believe in police or because the mandates or, you know, um, healthcare workers that are fired. Do you believe in, in in offering incentives like that that would kind of bring in political refugees? I think that's a real possibility. And we cer- I certainly will take a look at that because we need we're also uh, one of the leading states to support our veterans. And, of course, I will continue that process and to support the veterans any way we can. And that's a, a, 
a good group to maybe help us secure the border as our as our uh, retired veterans. And they're all anxious to help. So a, a big problem that comes up when you discuss sovereignty, I think everyone who recognizes how much pain we're in recognizes that really the only readily available solution we have is to interpose against the federal tyranny, get as many red states to actually be red. You have, you know, five, seven, ten more governors like Ron DeSantis and really work together and push back. But the biggest concern or the biggest obstacle, really, it's always money. At the end of the day, the feds have a printing press. They have all the money. Um, You know, we are going to need to spend more money if we want to build up some of our infrastructure to rival the feds in many different ways. Um, And Texas uniquely, because you've got to deal with the border problem and you certainly don't want to count on the feds. Is there how do you leverage the tax funds in a way that, you know, maybe it's funneled through the states first? Do you start withholding it from the feds? I mean, how do you get that revenue that's enough? And especially if you could tie into your answer, you do talk about phasing out the property tax. So where would the revenue come from? Well, first, let me let me just say this. It, it, governments never have enough money of our money, of people's money. And it's not about the revenue. It's about the spending. It's about how much they spend and where they spend it. And, and, and of course, my campaign's about phasing out property taxes entirely, and it'll take about eight to ten years to do it. And we're going to do that by using the growth in our other state revenue buckets. We have a sales tax. we got oil and gas tax. we got hotel tax, a lot of different taxes. And they grow at about 8% annually, we're going to take 90% of that growth and we're going to buy down property tax with it and we're going to keep local governments fully funded and we're going to have a, we already uh, never will have an income tax. We have a constitutional amendment against that, but phasing our property tax in the Huffines administration is, I'm going to have it on the ballot so people can vote for it so it can be over with once and for all. And it's a terrible way to fund our government is to tax people's property. And Texas has, all your listeners might not know, we have Basically, in the metropolitan areas, the highest property tax in the nation, and and overall, it's it's one of the highest. And Texans are tired of renting their property from the government. And I know everyone in the United States probably is. I mean, you yep. never own your own property; you just rent it from the government. The government's your landlord, and you don't have any control what the rent's going to be. You have no lease on it. And this is a liberty issue. It's fundamental. Oh, yeah. to, don't you think it's fundamental to who we are as as Americans? that you can actually own your own home. It always bothered me because there was always a strong movement on the right against the income tax. But the truth be told, if you if you gave me a choice between the two, the income tax, at least you know at the right level, is much more defensible because you're generating new income. But the notion that you could have a guy that doesn't have income, he's retired, he worked his life, he's retired now, he could have paid off his mortgage, lived in that property 40 years, 50 years, 100 years, it doesn't matter. It, there's never an uh, expiration on that that tax it comes every year and i never understood why we're okay with that um it's just kind of tough because in your state you already don't have an income tax so to not have an income tax and not have much of a property tax if at all um is kind of tough but you're saying you feel you'd have enough revenue for that we really do and i'll move some over to sales tax and everybody get to vote on it and sales tax will go up but i think most people prefer that they prefer sure. a consumption tax versus and 50% of the tax is paid by businesses and 50% is about by homeowners this is a massive massive wealth generator generator we can't even calculate it my team we we stopped counting it with our our numbers at about 80 billion in net worth creation overnight it, it's just going to be off the charts of of the prosperity we're going to create and we're going to prove it to the world that, that how much prosperity can be created when you when you get the government off the people at the back of people's necks and you take the boot off their throat and you let them really run with a true free market. Couple other issues want to get to here: um, crime. You know, a lot of people associate that with like where I live in Baltimore, Maryland, or California. But the reality is, Austin has had a record number of homicides. Crime is going up in Houston, in San Antonio. A lot of the major cities are experiencing 
um, re- either record homicides, carjackings. You have so many repeat violent offenders that seem to barely serve any time pre-trial, uh, post-trial. Uh, it, it, it's just, to me, watching Texas Republicans, there's been this obsession that last 10 years that there's too many people in prison, too many people in Texas prisons. So they let out a bunch of people. But then crime is going up, and you look everywhere, and people barely serve time. Um, and, and these are repeat violent offenders. So do you have any plan to change that culture in the legislature that's been constantly, I think, since Rick Perry's time, really into the de-incarceration agenda? Of course. Uh, crime is, is really skyrocketed in Texas and, are, and really across the board like it has, I think, in, in the whole country. And, and it's about defunding the police and all this nonsense. Uh, that uh, that the left is trying to promote and has promoted and, and done a good job of it, actually. Of course, we're going to fight back on that, and I will push back on that agenda as hard as I can. And a lot of that comes from the border. I mean, the, the Mexican cartels are the most dangerous criminal organizations in uh, in the world, in the world. I mean, the violence that these people promote and, and participate in is not even imaginable. It, it makes al-Qaeda look like junior high. I mean, they torture, they, they, they murder, they, they rape, and, they, and they're smuggling in, the sex trafficking, smuggling in a million and a half people in, into Texas unapprehended in a 12-month period. And they, we, the Border Patrol down there, by the way, Daniel, has caught illegals from 147 different countries in, in, in a one-year period. And this is not just Central and South Americans coming in. They've caught them from Afghanistan, Pakistan. China, you name it. And uh, it, it's really um, a, a huge security uh, issue for, for not only Texas, but for the country. So I want to get a clear distinction between you and the current governor on this immigration issue, a legal immigration issue. Um, you, you called earlier today, you put out on, on your social media that you would activate the Texas National Guard uh, to secure the border. Uh, you know, but they'll say, look, you know, the governor has also called up the T- Texas National Guard. So wh- where do you two differ on that? Well, it's, it's really quite simple. Uh, he's using the National Guard really as a crossing guard. There's videos <laughs> of the National Guard down there actually helping the, uh, the immigrants, uh, the, the illegals in, in their boats and, and turning them over to Border Patrol. Border Patrol works for the federal government, and that's what the National Guard's doing, and that's what Abbott's doing. He's capturing a few, and they turn them out of jail, and they turn them right over to Border Patrol. It's just the federal government. The federal government has never secured the border, and they never will. The only chance we have of securing the borders of a courageous governor of Texas, and that's why this election is so important. I'm going to engage not only the Texas military, all 20,000, and we're going to be stopping an invasion. This is clearly an invasion. We've got the legal authority to stop an invasion from Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution. I'll be engaging military from neighboring states. We'll do whatever's necessary to immediately deport any illegal we find back to the other side of the river. And I'd like to point out there's 25 bridges over the river, and we're going to stop all inbound commercial traffic from Mexico. And this is, of course, strategic. This is to make sure that the Mexican government feels the economic pain. Until they secure their side of the river and take it back from the cartels, they're not getting any of their stuff into Texas. And it's going to be bloody, and it's going to be in the sense of economically, it's going to be painful. But we're going to do it because we're going to make sure Mexico cooperates and be, and turns into a good neighbor instead of a bad neighbor. And this, well, is very, this, this could happen. Look, I'll get done in 30 days what's never been done in modern history and we're going to have a secure border in the state of texas and because i'm the actual republican running that's actually going to do something so it's interesting because on this show a couple of weeks ago uh governor ron DeSantis uh broke news when he said he would support a state-based return to mexico policy so i guess you know if you were to become governor you would have at least one partner in uh in in working on that together to, to get them back. And and doesn't it also have a lot to do with interior enforcement that we, we've had this schizophrenic view towards illegal immigration? We we'll say it's illegal, you can't come, but then, oh, well, you know, we'll give you in-state tuition, we'll give you, uh, you know, pro- government programs, we'll give you welfare, we'll give you access to everything. But in reality, if they can't participate in society in that way, they won't come. Well, of course. 
we've got to stop everything that attracts illegals to the, to Texas and and that's like in-state tuition and which right now is basically free from an illegal to go to the state state university but it's it's also the jobs and most people are probably shocked to find out that Texas doesn't have an e-verify program for private employers so I've got great legislation I'm going to be implementing uh, to that effect if you employ one person you're going to have to get them be verified and checked out also, our school system, you, you know, since the Piler case in, in 1981, you probably remember a SCOTUS case, sure. uh, te- Texas has to educate all illegals in the state of Texas. And since then, we've been educating 400 to 600,000 illegal kids, kids that aren't supposed to be here, smuggled into the state of Texas, uh, all paid for by Texas taxpayers. And that's to the tune of about $6 billion annually. So I'm going to do an accounting of that. And we're going to do everything we can to overturn that case and to push back against it, because this is not equitable for Texans. Uh, We're tired of spending our money on it. And uh, so that's the main things that attract the illegals uh, is the jobs and the education. No, that's definitely, uh, you know, a big point. Uh, John Brennan was the justice who wrote that opinion. He once said, with five justices, you can do anything. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's that's what... Yeah, we got a new court up there right now, and I think maybe they'll have a different opinion about it. And it was controversial when it came out. Um, real quick, before I let you go, two two other things I want to cover. Um, every Republican governor, I think, has publicly said they oppose critical race theory. Greg Abbott's no different. Um, what about his approach do you not like, and what would you do differently? Well, he's just a Johnny-come-lately on these issues. And he's just a political windsock. He's just blowing out there in the wind, saying whatever he needs to say to keep his career going. And it's not unlike most of the Republicans around the nation. I mean, have you ever heard of a Republican that wasn't conservative? <laughs> you know, they all say that. And you know what? I was in the legislature, Texas legislature, Texas senator from 14 to 18. I, was, I got a Ph.D. in that swamp down there. It's a very vindictive swamp. And most of these Republicans are liars. Ninety percent of them are liars. They campaign one way and they're going to go down there and govern a different way. They're going to lean into influence. And the influence in our state right now is with a rhino governor. And that's the problem. On CRT, for instance, uh, he I'm the one that uncovered my campaign's the one that uncovered the fact that they were that the state agency, one of the largest state agencies in the state of Texas, a Department of Family Protective Services, what uh, an onboarding document, 13,000 employees had to take a CRT course to be hired, a 29-page document. They had to watch videos. They had to take an oral and written test on it. And we uncovered that, and we got them to pull it down and, and stop it. Our governor doesn't care. He's a terrible leader, and he's only talking about CRT because he needs to. And, and of course, I'm going to fight this Marxist. It's total Marxism, and we're going to stop it in the state of Texas. But the hard part is it's like a whack-a-mole, you know, it, it, it'll morph into something else and they'll call it something else. And we just put a news release out yesterday about the university of Texas coming up with a new system at the LBJ school of law. That's really nothing but Marxism CRT with a new name. So do you believe that in order to flush it out, that you can't just be neutral and say, Hey, let's not teach this in the public schools, but that you need to push an affirmative pro-American agenda, something like a 1776 agenda, would you be directing the Department of Education to actually take a side on the curriculum? Absolutely. Now, this is a state curriculum. I'm not, I don't really, I'm not concerned about what the federal government does, particularly in our education. And I'm not worried about the hooks they have in that because it's a money, it's a money situation and we can handle that here in Texas. But this is, this is, um, for instance, most most things are downstream of the governor's office, our culture, our virtue, our legislation. As governor of Texas, I will insist upon getting prayer back in every classroom. I'm also going to insist on having biblical studies at our seventh and eighth grade level. Our virtue is at stake. Our culture is at stake. And these were the catalysts that caused the sexual revolution that caused uh, the abortionists to, to take over our country and, and, and kill 60 million of our children. And, and it started 
with getting prayer and Bible out of our classrooms. These are easy fights. This isn't complicated. Because what's Biden going to do? If we lose a lawsuit about it, so what? We might not even show up. What's he going to send down? The prayer police to over a thousand ISDs, independent school districts in the state of Texas. We have tens of thousands of classrooms. I mean, I'm not worried about that lawsuit. In, in other words, to sum it up, what you seem to be saying is that Texas should be as patriotic, rooted in biblical values, true free market values as California is in, in its Marxism, cultural Marxism. And we don't have that. And because you know, what you're describing is basically California. They they do what they want, regardless of what the Trump administration wanted at the time. Uh, they did what they wanted. And you believe that you have that power. And speaking of power, final question. You've talked a lot about ERCOT, the failure of the power grid. You know, people think of Texas, they think of oil and gas, yet right there, you seem to be struggling at least a few times this past year uh, with the power. Is that because of some of the reliance on the solar and wind? Is that because of other reasons? Why do you think that that's been occurring? And what would you do about that? Well, it absolutely, absolutely is uh, relying on, on renewables where it's solar, but mainly it's wind energy in Texas. We're the largest wind energy state in the nation and almost in the world. And we had our leadership, which is, again, our governor. He's been governor for eight years, uh, promoting it and, and encouraging it. He actually got the Wind Energy of the Year Award 30 days before we had a complete meltdown of our grid because the windmills couldn't turn in, in, in the winter, last winter, as you know, in our, our, our Snowmageddon issue. And we had millions of Texans barely surviving and, and having to get water and electricity. We had hundreds dying on it. We were within four minutes of of our whole independent grid system melting down completely, which would have shut us down for a month or two or several months, and thousands would have died, of course. But this is really all just about leadership. Texas is, of course, the energy capital, not only of the nation, but one of the energy capitals of the world. And it's an embarrassment. It's embarrassment for the state of Texas. We ha- used to have the most robust uh, grid system in the world. Uh, it's independent of the federal system. It, it just operates within the state, and uh, we don't anymore. Uh, we've let lines be run across our state lines, and uh, we're dependent on renewables, and it's a, it's obviously a disaster. Well, certainly a lot to cover here. Um, if people want to find out more about your campaign, how do they follow you? Just go to my website donhuffines.com and that's spelled d-o-n of course h-u-f-f-i-n-e-s donhuffines.com and you can uh, sign up for our emails and uh, make donations or whatever you whatever you think is important and and see where i stand on a lot of issues well there you go certainly a lot for our audience to chew on thanks so much for joining us again today and keep us updated oh thank you very much and uh it's going to be a, a greatest days are coming in texas and for the united states because uh Texas is the tip of the spear, and we're going to get our liberties back, our economic liberties, our personal liberties. It's our time to get up to bat. It's going to be a new chapter in Texas history. So we shall see. Don't mess with Texas. Take care. And again, folks, that was Don Huffines, former state senator. He is running uh, one of several people to challenge uh, Greg Abbott in a primary. This will be the biggest primary uh, of the year, uh, many respects, the most important election of our lifetime, because uh, the battle lines are drawn. I mean, I think you hear him very blatantly. He said he promises to show people how sovereign a, tr- a state could truly be. So, I mean, I think he certainly gets um, what's at stake. He, you know, he talked about embracing power to to fight power. A lot of the themes that. We've been talking about and the need to understand where things are coming from with private businesses. Um, look, you know, he one one important thing I think he mentioned and I'm a big fan of is is the bully pulpit. On the one hand, I've always been into policy outcomes. I don't want to hear about your rhetoric. I want you to show me the policies. But another important thing to understand is the era we're living in. We don't live by the rule of law, so you could pass laws, but if you don't enforce them, if you don't create a culture that this is what you're going to do in the state, they don't listen. I mean, that's the thing. Greg Abbott did issue a full, no exceptions, executive executive order, barring so-called private businesses from mandating it, and they're not listening. But in Florida, they are. What's the difference? Well, Florida, he got the legislature to join in, made it stronger, but also 
um, they knew he was going to enforce it. And and, th- and with this, it was just a throwaway because, you know, Don was biting at his heels. So, you know, he kind of did it. Um, but the bully pulpit matters. You look at Ron DeSantis and almost every day he holds a press conference coming up with new ideas, attacking Biden. Imagine if you had 20 other Republican governors simultaneously doing that in their states. I don't think you could begin to imagine the effect of just the bully pulpit alone because that would create um, the impression, at least to the culture, to the private sector. No, in, in these states, at least, this is where it's headed. This is not unanimous. You know, let's face it, because of the way the Republicans are acting, if you're a businessman of a big business, if you had to, you know, look very pragmatically as to where things are headed, they're headed towards its vaccine or bust, that these are everything, that we're going to, the mandate's going to, going to, you know, going to, going to. Uh, survive. But if you had every governor not just saying, oh, I won't enforce Biden's mandate, but we're downright going to criminalize it. And then you use the bully pulpit to do what we do. You know, literally, you know, some some uh, elected officials are starting to have their own podcasts. I think it's a good idea. Um, But, you know, all sorts of public events where you start talking about the lack of efficacy and the ADE and the injury and you you get into the nitty gritty of the issue um, like like DeSantis always does, we don't see any other Republican governor do that. So this is where it's at. This is where it's at. And 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 again, there are other people. Chad Prather, my colleague here, he's running. Um, you know, I don't know how much of a campaign he has. You do have obviously Alan West, who was in Congress, and he was the the previous chairman of the Texas's Republican Party. Um, so. You know, I'm not, you know, if you want to support one of the other ones, I'm not so concerned about who to support at this point uh, because there is a runoff. So there's no concern of splitting the vote. Let let the best man take on Abbott in the runoff. I mean, it would be a pipe dream if, you know, West and Huffines would be in the in the runoff and Greg Abbott would be in third place. But, you know, it's probably probably unlikely at this point. Um, but but this is this is the problem. That these Republican governors are able to indulge our talking points in a very cheap way that doesn't really endure. They don't like the vaccine mandates, but they love the injections. Um, you know, they don't like critical race theory. They don't like illegal immigration. Uh, you know, they're for our values, but not really. This is what they do, but in the meaningful ways of doing it, they they're they're not interested. And and again, I mean. It's going to take people like Don and five, ten more of them to say we're we're not going to abide by federal court usurpations, just like we're not going to abide by uh, federal executive usurpations. The the uh, judiciary is certainly not more um, powerful than the executive branch. It's ridiculous. You know, most people when you say we're going to push back against the feds, conservatives at least, they're like, yeah, yeah, states' rights, let's do that. But when you say the court, like Daniel, the court said, well, what do you mean? You know, if a court gives an individual relief to a plaintiff, that's their job. But if they want to influence broad policy, like you have to ha- give benefits to illegal aliens, they don't have such a right. Even e- There's no fundamental right to any benefit, um, even for Americans, uh, although they think you have a fundamental right to a sex change operation and, and everything there. But again, there's a lot more going on. We also have um, – I didn't get a chance to talk with Don about – uh, treatment and some of what's going on there. We just ran out of time, but there was a court case in Virginia. We did win a case there, another Ralph Larigo case, uh, where someone was on a ventilator for seven weeks, and last night they were administered their first uh, dose of ivermectin. We'll be watching that. Um, Pfizer is approving. They're going to probably very soon get approved their drug, Um there's a lot of problems there. They mix it with an aged drug known as ritonavir, and the drug itself doesn't seem to be a problem, and it probably does work pretty well. You know why? Because it follows one of the many mechanisms of ivermectin. Why not use the drug that has multiple uh, mechanisms, is also anti-inflammatory, anticoagulant, and is off-patent, and we could produce for real cheap if we actually did, much cheaper than even we can get it now and doesn't come with the risks of A, being a new drug, and B, being mixed with an AIDS drug that already has uh, concerns of liver failure. Um, if you look up Ritonavir and symptoms, an AIDS drug, all the AIDS drugs come with many, many problems to them. 
Uh, but they'll get their approval because Pfizer gets what they want. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be having uh, Robert Malone back on the show to discuss just the latest um, epidemiologically what's going on with the variants, um, where he sees uh, the vaccines going, the variants going. So let me know your questions. You can email me, dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Um, and I remember to buy our, if you go to blazemedia.com slash collections slash Daniel Hurwitz, you'll find, um, just go to our shop. Uh, we have merchandise, Freedom Over Fascism. So, uh, you know, it has a, a picture of a mask on it, T-shirts, hoodies, um, uh, coffee mugs. If you put in promo code Hurwitz20, you will get an extra 20% off. So uh, it would make a great Christmas present as always. Um, we will, you know, we are going to go off the air for the year at the end of this week. I will have videos out on Rumble. We'll uh, let you know how to find that next week just to keep you guys updated. You can always follow me as always at RM Conservative on Twitter before I get banned. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.